right, we're back with another episode. AP, how are you doing, my friend? Very well, thanks, Darren. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I thought I'd start off this episode by just giving a shout out to our first sponsor, uh, Bruce Jack Wine. They've sent over some bottles of wine for us to try. Um, so that was pretty awesome of them to do that. Um, yeah, he was just like, look, if we can collaborate on something, why not? And I thought, yeah, let's give it a go. So I just wanted to say this video was sponsored by Bruce Jack. Thank you so much for that. And I guess, yeah, drink responsibly. Um, I've not had a sponsor, so <laughs> let's see how it goes. But um, no time to waste. Absolutely insane weekend of rugby again. Um, we are very structured this week. We do need to sort of address the elephant in the room, as you like to say. And that, of course, is the whole Jake Ball saga. Now, as you love to do, give us a bit of context quickly on the story. And um, yeah, we are going to give our responses. Well, I put my foot in it again uh, this week because on our last week's podcast, I said I'd be amazed if this guy isn't cited. Um, the fallout from our last podcast is quite entertaining. Shout out to uh, Wales Online, who are clearly avid watchers of the show because they, uh, you know, us two chatting in our in our bedrooms about rugby is now being dubbed the South African media. So they ran a headline saying the South South African media slams Jake Ball for you know horrific tackle or whatever which is quite entertaining. But um, yeah, so this is now a little bit old news, but Jake Ball uh, sort of came around the ruck and, and put a shoulder to Faf de Klerk's head um, two weeks ago, well, sorry, a week ago now in the um, in the Champions Cup. He wasn't cited for it, wasn't red carded. It was a pretty terrible decision. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's not much more which needs to be said in it. I think we, we covered most of it last, last time round. You know, as I said, it's a bit old news at this point. Having said that, it, it is um, it was good to see that that actually a lot of Welsh fans as well came out and condemned the fact that he wasn't cited, uh, and it does make me sort of think sometimes what are the citing commissioners doing? Because uh, it was I, I'm pretty shocked he got away with it. But anyway, you know that's rugby, that's life. Sometimes people get away with things, and um, you know I guess I guess Fafta Clyde didn't have a great game, Sale didn't have a great game this week. So swings and roundabouts. Uh, one day you're pumping scarlets, the next week you're getting absolutely smashed by La Rochelle. Um, but yeah, just a just a quick word on that one. And that's I guess the just the pickup from last week. It's safe to say, you know, we have nothing personal against Jake Ball. So um, yeah, Wales Online, thank you for the shout-out. We absolutely appreciate, you know, that you guys are <laughs> listening and watching the show. So I guess we're taking some sort of negative reinforcement and turning it into a positive one. But regardless of that being said, that's done and dusted. That's in the past. Um, no point crying about it because we're just wasting precious time on that. Uh, right. Um, you've got some information or you want to tell us a bit about Hamish Watson? What's going on there? Yeah, so just to just to quickly run through some of the news stories coming out this week. Um, the Hamish Watson one is an interesting one to me. Um, Stephen Jones wrote an article this week effectively saying Hamish Watson, who has voted Six Nations Player of the Tournament, uh, we've talked around it previously as being, uh, in my mind at least, a, a certain starter on the open side for the Lions, uh, him sort of uh, Curry going going head to head for that position. But anyway, Stephen Jones wrote an article saying that Hamish Watson was not big enough to front South Africa, um, which I find laughable, to be honest with you. And I think he got a lot of backlash for it. And, and I think rightly so, because ultimately, um, you know, anybody who's watched Hamish Watson plays knows he's, you know, yes, he's not in stature wise the biggest guys, but he generates an enormous amount of power just through his speed and, and, and you know, strength and contact. He's absolutely big enough to front South Africa. 
But for me, the interesting thing about this isn't, isn't so much even the debate, but more the fact that it's being had. So the fact that people are already worrying about whether someone's big enough to face South Africa, it just suggests to me, you know, seeing Jacques and South Africa living rent-free in these guys' heads, you know, there's no other side in the world where this would be the conversation being had. Um, so I just, I just find that a little bit interesting, uh, briefly to touch upon the Hamish Watson thing. From a South African's perspective, or at least my perspective, he's absolutely big enough to front South Africa. It's nonsense to say he's not. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you that he's absolutely big enough and he's absolutely ready. And he's probably going to be one of the biggest threats to the Springboks. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know what they're on about there. Um, that's not the the only issue the Lions have at the moment, is it? I mean, they seem to be having a problem with their coaching. And what have you found out about that this week? Yeah, so that's the other sort of big news story that's come out this week is about the Lions coaching side or Gatlin's coaching team. Um, previously, it was suggested that he was building this, you know, world-beating coaching side, which would have Andy Farrell. Uh, so that's Ireland's head coach, former defensive coach, who would be running the defense. That's now fallen through because um, Ireland have scheduled or are looking to schedule a tour to the Pacific Islands uh, this summer, uh, UK-based summer. And he feels that, it, uh, you know, in his responsibility as, as head coach of Ireland, he, he owes it to them to be on that tour. So that's why he stepped down. Um, Graham Roundtree, who's at Munster at the moment, he was due to be forwards coach. That not sure whether that's going to go ahead. So the two dead certs that we know, we know that who's going to run the attack and who's going to run the defence. And they're both Scottish coaches. Um, so... Greg Townsend, uh, who's a fantastic, was a fantastic uh, player, the, you know, did South Africa a world of harm in the Lions series 97 um, and has been great as a coach for Scotland. He's going to run the attack, which I think is a very shrewd appointment. Um, and then his, the Scotland defensive coach is a guy called Steve Tandy and he's been absolutely superb. So he's actually a Welsh guy. He played for the Ospreys, you know, so many times. I can't remember how many caps he's got for them, but, you know, I think it's close to 100 or maybe over 100 caps for the Ospreys. Coached for the Ospreys uh, for a long time, briefly did a stint at the Waratahs and then was snapped up by Scotland, which is his first international coaching gig. But uh, he's been a revelation. Scotland had one of the best defences in the Six Nations. His name isn't mentioned enough in terms of the great defensive coaches. You know, you, you know a guy like um, you know, Sean Edwards... Who's, who's brilliant, but, you know, everyone talks about Sean Edwards. He's been fantastic with France um, and formerly with Wales. Um, but Steve Tandy is another one of those guys, you know, hard-nosed Welsh guy, uh, runs defence, you know, brutally, brutally well. Um, and I think he'll be, he's a very shrewd appointment. So whatever team Gatlin brings over in terms of the coaching setup, there'll, there'll be a handful. But uh, having said that, you know, not having a guy like Andy Farrell involved is probably a, a bit of a blow. Yeah, I mean, Tandy's got a great record. You mentioned it earlier there. He was at the Ospreys. He coached with Gatland at the Ospreys. And I mean, Scotland did have one of the best records. I think I saw somewhere that they had some of the fewest points against them in the whole tournament. So, you know, there's definitely something working there in a defensive aspect. Um, you know, some of the other guys that I saw were mentioned, you know, someone like, uh, who was a Robin McBride, also um, could possibly be, uh, a favorite as Ford's coach, uh, who else? Steve Borthwick. I mean, the Leicester coach, he was also an option, but then turned that down due to the schedule that they were going to have. I think he was saying something like, you know, it's going to clash too much with the Tigers and that they were going to, he was going to miss some of the preparation games or preseason. So he wasn't interested. And, and of course, some of the others that you mentioned. And now is this, 
is this something that the Springboks need to be worried about or concerned about that uh, the Lions are having issues with their coaching? Is it going to affect their game plan in any way? Um, what do you think? Or is it not something they need to worry about that they just need to focus on their own setup? I think there's there's plenty enough for Jacques Minoba and Drassi Rasmus to be worrying about in their own camp at the moment. Uh, and we'll definitely come on to talking about the whole Rainbow Cup preparation on the shambles. But um, I, don't, I don't think they'll be worried. As I said, I think that whoever Gatlin brings is going to be top quality. Um, there's no lack of good coaching in, in the Northern Hemisphere. And his, his coaching setup will have a very strong vision, will have very, very clear uh, ideas. And I think there'll be a handful, whoever he brings. So I, I think that we'll not see a, a noticeable weakness in any coaching setup in the Lions at all. And it's only going to benefit Scotland because, I mean, they've only ever picked three Scottish players since you mentioned the 1997 series. And it's, you know, we could potentially see more Scottish players in the side now. And it's, it's only a good thing. And it's quite clearly showing that Scottish rugby is finally heading in the direction that a lot of us have been waiting for. And it's good to see, you know, um, but yeah, again, it adds to the anticipation and the excitement of the tournament, you know, bar all the other things that are sort of hindering it and delaying it. But I mean, it's good to see. I mean, Gatlin is obviously a very knowledgeable man. Um, he's very successful and, you know, it, it should, you know, pose for such a great, intense quality part of the game. So, yeah, let's let's wait and see. Um, we're going to be talking about Japan. Um, so let's quickly discuss the Japanese national team that got released today. Um, was it a 52, 53 men yeah, squad? So it's the wider training squad has been released. Now, what is a, what is a wider training squad? So um, usually what happens is that you release your preliminary training squad, which is, yeah, it's, it's anywhere from 40 players upwards. 52 is quite a lot, but you basically get everyone into a big, big squad. And then you sort of thin it down over a number of weeks. Um, it depends how much preparation time you have. It depends how much access you have to your players. That is sort of often dictated by um, franchise interests or, or club interests, union interests. So not all international coaches have that luxury. Um, but yeah, in, in Japan's case, anyway, Jamie Joseph has named his 52-man uh, wider training squad. Um, and just from a South African perspective, I mean, two guys are in there who, who we know we know, we know, know and love. Uh, so we've got Gerard van Nierfer, who, I mean... He's an interesting one for me because when he first came onto the scene at the Bulls, I think a lot of people, myself included, um, were saying this guy is going to be the next big thing. He had absolutely everything. He was, he is six foot three, big guy, but he's unbelievably quick. Had a great kicking game, very long boot, as so many South Africans do. Solid, sturdy defense. It seemed that he ticked all the boxes and was very successful at the Bulls. Um, was sort of seen as the natural successor to Brian Obano, who was looking to move to the Stormers at that time. So it seemed to me that, it, you know, his career would be just going up and up and up. He played junior rugby for South Africa, but it just, something just didn't work for him. I, I, I don't really know the story well enough. Um, I, it always baffles me why it didn't, why it didn't really come off for him. Uh, it didn't really work at the Bulls. He went to the Stormers, then went to Munster, ended up in Japan. I'm really glad to see him in the squad, though. I think that it'd be very good for him if he got a if he got an international cap somewhere because I think he's absolutely deserving. He's a brilliant player. I've seen him play a lot for the um, in Super Rugby uh, with the Sunwolves, and he was always a standout on the wing there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very happy for him. Uh, and the other guy is obviously Shane Gates, who, who you actually alerted me to, um, and I believe he was at the Kings uh, previously as well. 
and is now playing his trade in Japan. And, and congratulations to him as well being called up. Yeah, it's great to see. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a loss for South African rugby, but with the amount of talent we keep mentioning, it, it can be quite difficult. And it's a choice that some of these guys have to make, you know, from a, from a younger age than usual. And yeah, good luck to, to both of them. They join uh, a few other South African-born players in the squad too. And, you know, I've, I've been keeping an eye on, on Gerard like the last six or seven weeks now that the, the Japanese league has been going on for and he's doing really well at Kubota and you know he's got a really good boot too so I've, I've not seen anything of him before that but from what I've seen so far this year um, he's actually pretty good uh, you know and he's got to be mentioned and I guess that's our job here isn't it to sort of highlight the guys that we think you know might be doing really well at, the, at, at, at their current clubs you know who are options for for the Springboks or other national sides but yeah, like good to, good luck to him. And uh, again, you know, as usual, we'll we'll keep an eye on all of these guys and keep everybody posted with with what's been going on. If anybody out there knows a lot more than we do about any of these players, then yeah, just make sure you leave a comment or anything in the comment section below and just let us know. You know, like what you think of them. Have you played with them before? I read a quick tweet earlier of a guy saying that he played with Shane Gates. You know, and. He's just a monster of a player. So it's exciting for us, you know, because we get to talk about it. But, but yeah, you know, things have been going well again for us in Japan. Our players are just, they're unstoppable, man. I mean, I'm going to start with probably the biggest impact player in South African rugby, in my opinion, uh, Malcolm Marks, who scored his seventh and eighth try again this weekend. But a little bit different this time because, you know, how we absolutely love to get a ball from the line out and we do that rolling mall and that classic springbok train you know reaches the try line but this time round neither of those tries were like that you know he sort of made himself available as the ball came out from the scrum half you know he went and stood right where the center should be standing where damien delender should be standing and you know you make yourself available and you are someone the size of malcolm marks you're going to probably break a defense five meters out and that's exactly what he did two quality tries from Malcolm again this weekend um, and in the same game what drama I don't know if you watched any of it or caught some of the highlights but I mean yeah final final seconds of the game you know they were well into the 80th minutes uh, Kubota were down uh, sorry um, Toyota were down against Kubota um, and then what was it who was it Yokosuke Takayashi gets a break on the right-hand side and scores a try. But, the, you know, the game wasn't done there. Lionel Cronier had a mammoth job to do. We know how impressive he's been all season with Toyota. And, of course, in the coolest, calmest fashion, places the ball, sets it up nicely. And it was like nothing, you know. It was like bread and butter for him. Scores the conversion and they win the game by one point. So... That was awesome to see, you know, it was awesome for the Jap Japanese fans to see, you know, that sort of intensity and how important some of these kicks are going to become or these moments in the games are going to become, you know. Um, but yeah, he's already on 74 points for the season. I mean, seven games in, 74 points. He's got to try himself. He's doing a phenomenal job with the boot. And I wanted to ask the question. I, did, I didn't know how long I had to wait to ask the question, but I mean, is there any springbok opportunity there for Lionel Cronier or is that just wishful thinking? Uh, yes, it's difficult. We've, we've spoken about this very briefly before um, and we said, I, 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 
<laughs> I'm going to scupper myself, whatever I say here now. Uh, he's been fantastic. I, I don't want to say too much more. I think that there's, it'll be very, very difficult for him to get into Springbok setup. I think with Pollard, Yankees, Kerwin Bosch is probably seen as the third choice. Uh, it, it would be very difficult for him, for him to make it back into it. Um, in my opinion, yeah, that, that's, I don't think it's likely. Having said that, though, stranger things have happened. Um, I'm sure that the Springbok coaches will, will be watching him, as you say, completely dominating in Japan. Uh, he's been brilliant, not just from the boot. I think he's had great control in the games that I've seen him play. Um, he's, he's always been a very good distributing uh, fly-off as well even from his, I remember from his King's days, you know, he was, he's always a bit of a ball player. So I think that, uh, you know, credit power to him. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, I think it'd be very difficult, but stranger things have happened. So let's see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, SP Maria had probably one of the best games of the whole weekend. You know, he managed to bag four tries in one game. Um, I obviously I'm busy working on a SP Maria highlights package video right now. And man, the guy was just everywhere. Again, I mentioned it with Malcolm Marks. If you make yourself available for the ball, you know, there's some great individual tactics from him. You know, the team set up a lot of training, training day, uh, set, uh, how can I say training day, uh, gameplays, um, but yeah, they were all over the show. They eventually won 71-24 and he was phenomenal again. Um, again, SP Maria, is this someone that we should be looking at or what do you reckon? It's an interesting one because I think that he's another one of those who's very, very unlucky not to have made Springbok. In 2016, um, when Alice Garcia took over and he named his first box squad, there was sort of a 50-50 at that time between SP and Andres Kutsia, who was at the Lions at the time. And it ended up being Andres Kutsia who came into the squad and played a couple of caps for South Africa. And, and was, he, was, he was a decent player for them. And, and I like him. He offers a lot, but uh, he's, you know, either way. But it was, it was interesting because it really could have gone either way. I think SP Murray is one of those guys who's a bit more creative. He's a lot, you know, he's an attacking threat as we've seen and he's another guy like a bit like Dylan Lates, who ironically both from the Stormers, um, who who are just you know they're excellent players who are sort of on this fringe book radar. I think that um, I have to say again, I think playing in Japan, unless you're already a certified Springbok dead starter, it, it's difficult for you to break into the Springbok squad playing in Japan, uh, unless you're already there. So I'm not sure that we'll see him in, in a box squad. Uh, the other thing is just at the moment, the back three for South Africa in the back line is the most congested I think it's ever been. You know, you've got a guy like Apalele Fasi coming through. You've got Damien Willemse, who's now probably going to be sticking at 15. You've got Vili LaRue still there and also exceeding, doing exceedingly well in Japan. You've got Colby on the wing. Mapimpi is doing well in Japan. Sabun Korsi is tearing it up. And, and a lot of these guys can play different positions in the back three. So I think at the moment, trying to break into a Springbok back three is very difficult. But having said that, four tries in, in, in a game is always a lot of fun. Jesse Creel scored a really good try in that game as well. Another guy who can cover 15. Um, so who knows? Uh, but but it's, it's just great to see the boys tearing up. It was, it was a fun game to, to watch. I didn't watch the whole thing, I have to admit. But mm. I, I mean, the, it, you know, watching the highlights was like watching the whole game because it was, you know, a try every minute almost. <laughs> Yeah, they scored. I think they scored every three minutes. They scored a try and um, it was fun to watch. It was a great game to see. And yeah, you know, Jesse was doing what he does best. Um, and ultimately, you know, 
guys who aren't you know lucky enough to make the Springbok side or to make selection are doing South African rugby justice in Japan. So you know it's not a bad story at the end of the day, but it, it is you know it kind of sucks that you can't have all these players playing in the squad. If we could have a squad of like a hundred, that would be pretty <laughs> awesome. But I mean, that being said, it's you know if if they can go apply their trade somewhere else and do well and you know really make the country of South Africa proud, then why not, you know? Um, just quickly, a couple of updates from Major League Rugby before we move on to the biggest part of the weekend, which was European rugby. Uh, Joe Peterson and Bjorn Basson both scored in their 34-32 defeats to the Houston Sabercats. I mean, those teams in, in Texas are ridiculous at the moment. You know, they're tough to beat. We spoke about it quickly last time and the time before, you know, Seattle, probably the, the top-notch favorite to win the whole thing are actually right at the bottom, but we're not going to get into that right now. Uh, so, yeah, the LA Giltinis, they're right at the top with 15 points just after three, and then Austin Gilgronis are 12 points after four. So week in, week out, our Saffirs are doing a great job over there, uh, and I'm pretty sure there's, there's more to come. But I will try and dedicate an episode to Major League Rugby if we can, um, you know, maybe perhaps when there isn't so much going on with the Lions and the Springboks and European rugby. But I mean, we will obviously try and get to every league as much as we can. So yeah, uh, great to see. Now let's move on to European rugby. What a massive weekend. Um, What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. So the Champions Cup, Heineken Cup, um, which is obviously the premier sort of premier I guess, tournament in European rugby. Um, that was fantastic. It was, it was two days um, in the quarterfinals, quite conflicting uh, quarterfinal days, I must admit. Saturday's games were um, a fair bit more exciting than Sunday's games. Um, who would have thought with four French teams playing on Sunday that there would be zero tries and 160 minutes of rugby? <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, briefly, let's talk about, I think, let's talk about the game of the weekend, really, for me, which was Leinster and um, and Exeter. I played at Sandy Park. Okay. Um, so not actually, not that many Saffirs involved, unfortunately, but but just a shout out, because I think Leinster are real championship quality. Hey, I, I think that I, I said last week, Exeter have taken a, a bit of a step back this year. Um, they made... You know, in the, in the first in the sort of opening exchanges when they went 14 points up, uh, I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to look like a right idiot. But it just shows the character that Leinster have, that they came back and just completely took ascendancy that game. The last 20 minutes, um, they were just all over them. You know, I think Exeter, I think the, the telling moment for me was in the last sort of 15 minutes of the game. Exeter sort of, they did their classic attempt to score from five meters out. They're the best in the world in the club scene anyway, probably are doing it. And Leinster's defence was just monumental. They kept them out, kept them out, forced them back to the 22, forced them back to the halfway line. Um, you know, the much vaunted Sam Simmons at eight, you know, Robbie Henshaw was all over him like a rash. There was a period of play of about five minutes where Simmons carried three times and was just stopped dead in his tracks by Henshaw. I, I, the more, I've said it before, I've said it many times, Henshaw is your starting 12 for the Lions. You know, anybody's welcome to disagree with me. They're wrong, I'm afraid to say. Uh, <laughs> Henshaw was... It was unbelievable. Hugo Keenan, who we've spoken about before at 15, was played a very good game. Outplayed uh, Stuart Hogg, who I think many people tip to be a line starter and probably will be. Um, but he was great at 15. That, I mean, that, that um, Leinster side is, is real quality. And they're playing La Rochelle, who are the other absolutely dominant team. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about them now. But 
that that game in the semi final, uh, this kind of, you know next next time they play is going to be is going to be outstanding. Um, yeah, but just quickly on the on the Lara show one, I'd like to get your your input as well. Obviously, I feel quite smug. Um, I don't know if you saw, but I, I wrote an article this week after our chat about uh, about Raymond Rule and Dylan Lades. I wrote an article on, on Raymond Rule and how well he's doing for uh, La Rochelle there and how he's, you know, he's, he's taken up the center, the outside center berth so well. He was actually on the wing on the weekend, ironically enough, but um, <laughs> he was man of the match. What, a, what an absolutely star performance. His, he scored two tries. His first try was, was just brilliant. Nice set piece move, overload the back of the line out, off the top lovely inside ball and then just to finish from there he had a lot of work to do to dummer to dummy i think it was byron mcguigan another namibian sort of saffer and then go under the post so his first try is brilliant and then he showed a lot of skills on the second one as well it was sort of a controlled chip through from a poorly fielded cross kick um which he then dotted down showed good pace and he was he was all over the show all game in the best possible way he was uh he cut some really good lines. Dylan Lates on the other wing was also equally fantastic. The two combined actually for a really good defensive effort when Sale was sort of still in the game, uh, which wasn't long because they were completely outplayed. But um, there was a time uh, sort of early on in the game where it looked like Sale were going to make this brilliant break. And it was a lovely cover back tackle from, from Rule, sort of tip tackle that stopped it. And then um, Dylan Lates killed the momentum by winning what would have been a turnover, but they went back for, for, for advantage. But either way, those two are superb. La Rochelle, wow, they were so much fun to watch. They're just tearing it up. The pack dominated sale for all the talk about how fantastic, you know, their backline is. The La Rochelle pack just took sale to the cleaners, which, you know, is is not a lot of sides do that. We said last week that sale would have really fronted up, but they didn't really look like they pitched up at the races. I think it was probably the worst sale performance I've seen under Alex, uh, under Alex Anderson. Um it's it's a tough one. They'll learn a lot from it, but they were they they just weren't really in it. I think um, Faf the Clark had an uncharacteristically poor game. He looked frustrated. He looked like he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't his usual incisive self. Um, you know, Jean Luc Dupree and Dan Dupree are usually so dominant. Um, Guibas Visa as well. They just didn't they didn't have the same impact that we're used to. Akrafana Mariba is another one who I rate so highly. I've said it time and again, but he wasn't as effectual as he usually is. So Sale, unfortunately, got caught out a bit, I think. That's why I say that's rugby for you. Week's a long time in rugby. One day you're pumping scarlets. You look like the best team in the world. The next week you're getting shredded by La Rochelle. Um, but yeah, that was a fantastic game. The Exeter-Leinster game was fantastic. And then truthfully, the less said about the next two games, the better, if I'm, on, if, if I'm honest with you. Um, I had the misfortune of having to cover them. Wow, we the Bordeaux game. Uh Yes, Bordeaux against Racing. Racing missing a few of their key players, I think. Verumi Vakatawa, they missed him quite a lot. Finn Russell, they missed. Um, but even so, it was really poor. It just looked lethargic. Just looked slow and, and mm. poor skills and little intent. Jalibert was 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 probably the standout in, in that game. Uh, Mathieu Jalibert, and he probably hasn't done his, his um, chances of, of taking the starting jersey away from Roman Intermac any, any harm because he was, he was the only standout. Joseph Dweba came on as well, talking about the Saffers involved. He came on, he showed a little bit of impetus. Um, he was good, but on the whole, poor game. Um, and the same can be said, really, of the of the next one as well. Um, so not not too great French derbies to finish, but uh, on the whole, a very good weekend of a very good weekend of, of Champions Cup rugby. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's well said. I didn't catch much of the the Exeter Lenses game. Um, I was traveling, um, but it sounds like it was one of the best games of the weekend, as you say. Um, I did have the very fortunate, unfortunate, you know, um, chance to watch La Rochelle versus Sale because it's a tough one for me because I support Sale and, you know, you wanted them to sort of go there and prove everybody wrong. You know, you want us to sort of still be on that, bus where Alex Sanderson is taking them to new heights and you wanted to pr- prove everybody wrong but ultimately they were outplayed it was a very tough first half um, I don't know what was said to La Rochelle at halftime I don't know if Ronan Nagara you know was whipping them or not but I think they listened very quickly and you know the minute they came back out second half Raymond two quick Raymond rule tries and and that was just it you know the first try again as we say a very well worked set piece try, you know, um, manages to get through, does a little shimmy, quick look and step, and there he's gone, you know. And I mean, it was absolutely fantastic to see a player that we keep bringing up, but I mean, he's just doing it himself. And Raymond Rule was just doing a phenomenal job at La Rochelle. And that first try proved that, you know, something they've been working on. And he was obviously clearly the guy, you know, to put in the right place at the right time. Second try again. I mean, it, it took me back to the 2010 FIFA World Cup when Shabalala just booted that ball past Perez, I think was in goal. Um, but yeah, you know, again, Hammersley with a terrible mistake. I don't know if there was shock horror in the moment or if he just hesitated. I mean, he hesitated and on, a, you know, the, the most awkward bouncing ball. It is, you know, as some people like to call it an oddball sport, but I mean... It does bring a lot of intensity and responsibility. Yeah, but I don't know what happened there. <laughs> it, it was it was very you know foolproof. But one guy that was there, Raymond Rule, he pounced very quickly with an incredible amount of skill. Sort of in the air, boots the ball past Hammersley. He beats him to the line and then you know scores the try. And then and there, it was done and dusted. Um, all week we've been talking about, or sale fans have been talking about the the strength and endurance of the sale pack. You know, those big Safa lads. But I think I think La Rochelle did their homework well, or it was a combination of them doing their homework well, a combination of their forwards just outpowering the sale pack, their backline just doing what they do best. You know, our Safas switching on for them again. Dylan, quick thinking, you know, sort of again. I don't want to be that sale fan and say, oh, but it was a little bit of a knock-on. You know, you could stand here for hours talking about that. I don't think it was. You know, again, quick thinking, picks up the ball and absolutely gassed his way to the line with a cheeky little smile just before crossing the line, um, which is always great to see. Uh, Raymond Rule, again, you know, we, we need to sort of mention... I don't know. I'm not liking what I'm seeing too much regarding one of these aspects of his game, which is the tackling. I'm hoping we can sort of quickly go through that. But but yeah, they outplayed Sale. They did a great job. And now I'm hoping they go and win the whole thing. Um, Bordeaux, I did watch that game. Again, I I probably had a better... I would have had a better experience watching paint dry. But, um, <laughs> it, you know... Kirtley Beal, what was he doing for Racing? You know, I mean, they just didn't have it in them. They didn't want to play. And, you know, sometimes you get those games. You could say it was the conditions. You can say it was a whole a whole bunch of things. But, I mean, 
you know, Matthew Jalibert was class. He was concise. He, he went to do a job and he did it really well. And as you said, you know, he's definitely put himself up for first choice. But yeah, uh, the last game I didn't see much of, you know, as I said, I was traveling Lucky and you. just I was traveling within reason. So for those who think, oh, my God, why are you traveling through COVID? Um, it was all through done responsibly and and all taken care of the right way. But yeah, an insane weekend of European rugby. I think, you know, it's 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 set up a really nice uh, semi-final for each of our teams that are left in it I, again. The probability of someone French winning it is probably a lot higher than we think. But but yeah, if you ask me right now who I think it was between, I'm quite sad that it's not actually going to be the final. But uh, but yeah, if it's either going to be, be between La Rochelle or, or Leinster, I think they look, you know, from, from the Leinster game, from the highlights, they were just patient. You know, they were clinical when they needed to be. They were sharp when they needed to be. And... They just went and do what Leinster do best. And again, La Rochelle, you know, they're very difficult to beat in the Bay of Biscay. Um, so, yeah, it's either going to be one of those two teams for me. I, I can't see, you know, the others. Potentially, to yeah, to lose might, you know, to Pond, to Colby. Lose, yeah. But for genuinely, me. yeah, I don't know. Well, let's, 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 let's make our picks then. Or is it too early to say, shall we wait? Actually, no. Well, yeah, let's make our picks. I'm going to say uh, I think Leinster are going to do a job. I think they're going to squeak past La Rochelle. They're going to play Toulouse in the final. Uh, Toulouse are going to turn it on against uh, against Bordeaux. I could be completely wrong. I, I suspect we're going to see a Leinster versus Toulouse final, uh, which I think on the balance of the whole season are probably the two best sides in Europe. Um, and then it's anyone's game. Then it's anyone's. It's very difficult to call that one. But I think that's that'll be our final. And then I think... Yeah, I'll, I'm going to say Leinster. I think Leinster, Leinster just have that clinical edge. I don't know. I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling. Okay. Um, that's that's the, the rugby knowledge talking there. Mine's more of like a Safa bias. I think that <laughs> La Rochelle, you know, will, will just turn up again. You know, I hope, I'm hoping that um, we see a lot more fireworks from our boys, obviously. But... I'm going to go La Rochelle to lose final and uh, yeah, Colby to score the winning try <laughs> <laughs> to make us reminisce about that 2019 World Cup final. Um, but yeah, I, I'm still down about the wholesale thing. I'm not going to lie. So I really don't know. I don't care who wins, but like, um, yeah, start Rochelet, start Toulousain final and Colby to score the winner. Okay. Brilliant. Not a, uh, jot it down. <laughs> and then neither of us, you know, get our way. And then Joseph Dweber comes and scores a hat-trick in the final. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> we've, we've got a bit of an issue in Europe, not so much in, in the Heineken Champions Cup or the Champion, the Challenge Cup rugby, but I'm talking this whole rain, Rainbow Cup thing. We've, you know, I, I made an error earlier on Twitter, um, but that's done and dusted now. But what, what is happening? Apparently South African, the South African franchises, they cannot come here because of a visa issue. The, the British government are not going to issue them visas. So can you're the right, right person to do this. So can you just tell us from the beginning, what was the plan, what's happening now and how are we going to fix this? Yeah, I think it's important to give a little bit of background context to this, uh, just to try and understand what's quite a tricky issue. 
particularly if we've got South African listeners and European listeners and just how it all interplays. So obviously the Rainbow Cup is a competition which is the precursor to the Pro 16 next season, which South Africa is meant to start playing in. In two weeks' time, the competition kicks off. It runs until June. Uh, it's, it's quite, you know, it's, it's an intro to basically the South African teams coming to Europe. So the way that this was going to work is for the first three rounds of that competition, starting in two weeks' time, the South African teams were going to be based in South Africa playing local derbies. And I think it was the same with the Irish teams and same with the Welsh teams. It was local derbies to start the competition. And then any travel would be minimized and done later in the competition. So three rounds in South Africa for the South African teams, after which they, um, in the interest of minimizing travel, would base themselves in Europe uh, and play all their games in Europe. So they wouldn't have home games. They just said, it's fine. We'll base ourselves in Europe. That's cool. So the plan was that they would base themselves, all four teams in one location, again, to minimize, you only need one bio bubble, one small bio bubble in Bristol, uh, in England, Southwest England. So that was the plan. And that's been sort of the plan for a while now. And it's sort of been accepted. And that seemed all hunky-dory. And then the news broke uh, that South African teams on the advice of the British government had been told not to apply for visas and that the British government had made the decision that they would not allow the South African teams to travel to uh, the UK on the basis of coronavirus concerns, probably because of the South African variant. I think that's something that we understand being here in, in the UK is, is a big concern for the government. But this throws a lot of spanners in the works. Um, for me, it seems odd that there wouldn't be a contingency plan that the pro 14 organizers and SA rugby didn't have a plan, you know, on, you know, to counteract this eventuality. And to me, the only reason I can think why they didn't have one is because they were given a government assurance, which has now been reversed. Uh, be that as it may, that speculation, I, I don't know. All that we know for sure is that the South African teams were last Friday, told not to make visa applications. The UK government had decided not to issue them visas. They weren't allowed to travel to the UK. They weren't allowed to base themselves in Bristol. Where it gets a little bit complicated is that the UK is obviously made up of England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. We'll leave Northern Ireland out of this for the purposes of this because it's Ulster is Northern Ireland, but it's governed by the Irish Rugby Football Union. Either way. So despite the fact that England doesn't have any teams in the Pro 14, and despite the fact that Wales or Scotland might be very willing to host South African teams in a bio bubble there, as opposed to one in Bristol, which is in England, the thing is that the devolved assemblies of uh, Wales and Scotland, they don't have the right to issue visas. That's something that only the UK government, which is based in Westminster in England, can do. So that's a, just a clarification there about how, how the devolved assemblies fit in, in, in all of this. So the, the, there's two issues here, which is one is the right to travel to the UK and granting visas. And the second one is where to be based. And it looks like it seems unlikely that the UK government is going to budge on this, which is unfortunate. So now there are a number of eventualities. Where do we go from here? What is the fallout? What is the contingencies? The most likely, and unfortunately, I don't think it is very likely, but the most likely alternative is to base themselves in Ireland, which is a different government, obviously, and try and do it that way. Now, Ireland has recently also introduced mandatory quarantining periods um, for and, and elite sport 
isn't exempt from that, unfortunately. So the Irish Rugby Football Union is currently lobbying or putting pressure on the Irish government to reverse that decision. Previously, the Irish football um, equivalent had tried to do the same thing, but didn't get much purchase. So it doesn't seem likely that they'll be successful, but they might be. They might be successful and the books might base themselves or look to base themselves in Dublin probably. Um, and and to yeah to have their bio bubble there and then and then play their games and go and travel. Um, I, I no one can say how likely that is. Um, all I can say is that I know from SA Rugby's perspective that they didn't pull out of their own volition. This was something which was blocked by the British government, and I know that they'll be they'll be exploring every single option. And I'll tell you why they'll be exploring every single option um, because of. It, I mean, money makes the world go round in professional sport. I don't think there's a country in the world, at least in rugby terms, that hasn't that has been more impacted by by COVID than South Africa financially and otherwise. Um, South Africa's really gotten a raw deal out of it, particularly with the Lions series and, and and everything involved. So, given that South Africa was dumped out of Super Rugby basically by New Zealand and Australia, uh, they've missed out on a lot of revenue there. This is the big money spinner. The Pro 16 in the Rainbow Cup is a big money spinner. We can't say exactly how much the broadcast revenue is predicted to be, but we know it's in the millions of pounds, probably, which is tens of millions of rand. Uh, so SA Rugby's finances are very stretched at the moment, as it is. Earlier this last year, actually, you know, there were across-the-board pay cuts, player salaries, coaches, you know, in an attempt to save people's jobs. It, it, it's really unpleasant. And so if the Rainbow Cup doesn't go ahead, the fallout we can expect is that we're going to see more of the same in terms of SA Rugby being stretched financially with all the associated fallout. Probably maybe even player wages being cut, maybe even management cuts, maybe even players released from contracts. It, it'll be messy, um, which we don't want to see. And longer term, it would be catastrophic because obviously player wages get cut. That's one more reason why a South African player might seek an overseas contract that undermines the strengths of the teams further. So the long-term impacts of, of not playing this Rainbow Cup are astronomical for South Africa. And also on the flip side, it's very, very bad news for all the, you know, the Irish rugby teams, the Welsh franchises, the Scottish ones and the Italian ones as well. They also stand to lose a hell of a lot from broadcast revenue. They, you know, all those sides have been bailed out or their unions have been bailed out by their governments over COVID. So they might have to go to the government again, whether they get a bailout again, who knows? Um, but again, it's not a situation they want to find themselves in. They also stand to make a massive loss. So there's no stakeholders here who benefit from this. You know, the only reason it's happening is because the UK government is concerned about COVID. Mm. So I don't know. I think it's very difficult to say what's going to happen from here. I seriously hope it doesn't get cancelled. My, my gut feeling is that maybe it is, uh, unfortunately. But my hope is that they can find some workaround. Pro 14 organisers, SA Rugby, whoever, find some workaround, whether with the Irish government or the British government or even the Italian government, just so that this thing can be played in some form, in some capacity, and they need to find some compromise uh, because the amount that everyone is, is set to lose if it doesn't is, well, I've said it before, I think it's catastrophic. Um, the, you know, and, and that's just from a financial and long-term perspective where that's before we even talk about 
the impact it will have on South Africa's preparation for the Lions series. You know, this was supposed to be, you know, we're going to play the players now that you're likely to play against in the Lions series. Um, this is a chance for Rossi and Jacques to get a sense of where our players are in relation to international quality opposition. Um, it'll bugger up their plans for preparing for the Lions series massively if it doesn't go ahead. So it, it would be a travesty, a real travesty if it, if it gets cancelled. And it's my sincere hope that it doesn't. Yeah, and we haven't got long because I think it's only a week or so away now before this, this tournament even kicks off. So who knows if we can somehow get a couple of local derbies in each respective country going, you know, just so that, that the South African teams are not left out of this tournament, as you said, and given an excellent, you know, reason why they need to be part of the series. So fingers crossed this goes ahead. And obviously we will also do our very best to keep everybody updated on all the developments and, and such. Um, let's get into some transfer and rumor news, and then we'll talk about our, who we think was the Safa standout of the week or Safa player of the week. And, and yeah, so I've only sort of seen uh, half of this, so we can maybe discuss 50 50. Um, I saw Yako Kutsia finally made it to Bath. You know, he was waiting ages for his visa to clear. Um, I think the same thing happened to Jacques de Toy, um, but ultimately he's at Bath and it's so great to see. Uh, he posted, or Bath posted a video of him at the training ground and just sort of introducing his sentiments on finally arriving at the club. So are Bath up to something? Um, they're signing some really good players. You know, they've got a, a really, in my opinion, I don't know what people think of him in South Africa. Um, so I'd like to get your opinion on that. Um, he's not a Safa, but I'd still like to get your opinion. Um, Danny Cipriani, I think for me, genuinely, he's one of the best players in the world. Um, obviously, a lot of, a lot of bad publicity in his career a lot of nonsense on the field on and off the field but when it comes to the game itself he's he's a genuinely great addition to Bath you know they're signing some ridiculous South African talent as we know um, you know Tian got injured which is it's really sad to see I don't know how long he's going to be out I suspect maybe maybe for a while so that's not the greatest but what are Bath up to like what's what's happening over there yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, just to touch on Yaku Kutsia, I mean, he's an outstanding player. I think Bath fans don't quite realize how good he mm. is at the moment. I picked him a while ago as being a Lions bolter. I think, unfortunately, that ship has sailed. But having said that, I think he'll, he'll I'll pick him to make a similar type of impact that, that Jasper Visa has made at Tigers. This guy is phenomenal. He can play any, any position in the back row. Number eight is probably where he stands out, but he can, he's very versatile. He's, he's an outstanding ball carrier, line-out option. Um, yeah, I think he's just an all-round really, really good player. And I think one of the biggest losses for the Stormers as well um, and for Western Province. So, no, I think he's fantastic. Uh, I really, really do. And then uh, touching on your point about uh, Danny Cipriani, obviously, I don't know what, but I think the wheels came off a bit for him at Gloucester. He was uh, you know, outstanding there and now he's moving. I mean, unfortunately, as we know, he's sort of, he's hopped around clubs a fair bit. He has this, you know, he's an absolute maverick, fantastic player. I think they've been struggling for a while. Um, 
you know, they've got Reese Priestland at Bath. Uh, Tion um, Skuman's obviously come over, but obviously he's, um, he's, he's injured at the moment. So they, they are struggling a bit in that, that 10 position and trying to find a long-term answer though. I don't know if Cipriani is a long-term answer because he is sort of reaching the twilight of his career, but what he'll definitely bring is he'll give you, you know, your attack will be probably revolutionized by him. He, he runs a back line like, like few other people can. He is real box office. So, no, I think he, he'll fit in there. I think Bath's one of those sides who are very inconsistent. They can be great one day and awful the next. And I think just finding that consistency going forward will be key for them. I mean, a big loss to them is obviously Zach Mercer, who's, who's going to, off to France. Uh, I think that's probably why you could see us come in uh, to try and, try and bring something similar of that sort of mobile carrying option. Um, you know, so I, I think you know, that's, that seems to me to be the thinking there. Hmm. Uh, but I think things might be good. Things might be happening in Bath. Um, let's keep an eye on it. We'll see where they go. And there's nothing wrong with you know trying to thicken the sauce, as they say, with a few Stafford boys. So uh, <laughs> yeah, the rest of the transfer and rumor news, I'm going to hand over to you because um, you have a lot more insight into these guys and where they're going and where they've come from. Um, so yeah, can you tell us a bit more about what news you've been hearing and rumors you've been seeing? Yeah. So quick one. Um, from Montpellier uh, is obviously that uh, Jacques Duplessis, massive South African second rower, like all of them, um, he's he's now leaving the club at the end of the season. The feeling is that he's he's dead. He's he's coming back to the Bulls. I think it was between the Bulls and the Sharks, but uh, the, the word on the street is that it's the Bulls who've won his signature. He uh, played for the Bulls for for a long time, went through all the youth structures there. It was a Tux as well, I think. Um, born in KZN, but basically came through all the Bulls youth structures, really, and, and, and played his professional rugby there before going to Montpellier. He's played under 20s for South Africa. You know what you get with, with him. He's, you know, he's a big, strong guy. Played with Paul Willemse, in fact, at the, at the Bulls. You know, the Bulls second row factory just keeps churning them out. So he'll be good to see. He'll add some ballast in the Bulls pack. Uh, not that it necessarily needs much more, but I think that's one signing that we can expect. Um, Yuan Huesen is another one, I think, who at the end of his contract is going to make a, make a move to the Bulls. Um, that's sort of open secret at this point. And then the other two interesting ones at the Bulls this week, James Verity Am, who's just been announced, I think, an hour or so ago at the time of this recording uh, on Monday. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to add a little bit more to their back three in the back line. Uh, and then Opa Mahoje is the other one which has been doing the, 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 the rumours. Um, I think his big thing is he wants to challenge to get back into that box setup. And Jake White said, look, you know, give us your all. With Tim Agarbo, who's another back row player leaving there, I think that's where they want to bring in Mahoje. I think he might be more used there as a back row player rather than a lock. Another very, very talented guy. Um, Apparently, he's not the, the signature is not confirmed. Negotiations are ongoing, so he might end up staying at the Cheetahs, but that's just the rumor I'm hearing at the moment. Now, can you talk us typically through a, a transfer or how a transfer works? So a player would get a call or a message from the respective parties. How long between that call and actually putting pen to paper, bearing in mind all the decisions that have to be made? Let's try and take away from the fact that there's a pandemic going on. And obviously that does, you know, allude to some of their decisions or decision making. Um, typically, how, how does the process work for those who don't quite understand it? Well, I think rugby has got a bit to go in terms of its professionalism when it comes to the sort of transfer contracting process. Uh, it's not the same in, you know, in football, there's very clear set transfer windows when you can approach and make negotiations. And it's still done, obviously, through agents. 
in a large part, and the agent will sort of link a player to a club that they think would work, and um, management agencies will, will, will do the same. And so in many ways, it is exactly as you'd expect, as you say, you know, it might be a, a, a player going to their um, agent saying, look, maybe look for me for opportunities. It doesn't seem to be working here. Or it might be a coach going to a player and saying, look, I think you should start looking for alternative opportunities. Or it might, as, you know, it might well be a scout from a club coming to, um, you know, to let's say a scout from France comes to South Africa, sees a junior guy, gets in touch with him either directly or through an agent or through his current club and, and, and works. So it can work in a, a number of channels in which it can work. There's no set time period either. I think it sort of happens all the time. Obviously you have set contracts for a certain amount of time, but they'll have break clauses. Um, players are sometimes released. There's often goodwill on behalf of clubs. So if a player isn't fitting in at a club and isn't getting game time, oftentimes we see clubs being like, no, it's okay. We'll release you from your contract early so you can go play somewhere else. Um, which is very, very nice. Sometimes clubs will, there'll be some kind of transfer fee paid. Uh, we saw that with Sia Khaleesi. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's, there's a number of ways that it happens. I think there's a very difficult to give you an, a standardized idea of how it happens in South Africa or around the rugby world. It sort of just sort of happens. Um, in my mind, it would be good to get to a position where a bit more like football, uh, we can have a bit more of a standardized process or at least a time when players move and and a, a bit more of a protocol, um, not least because I think one of the most exciting things in football is that transfer window and that speculation and it drives interest from fans and, and it's a great talking point, a great discussion point. And as we always talk about, rugby is a sport looking to market itself. That's a brilliant marketing opportunity. People love buying into that narrative. We, I mean, you and me both, we get Munster fans all the time. I get in my, in my messages asking, still asking me what's Jason Jenkins like what do you know about him yeah this stuff is great so I mean um we've talked about it by the way Munster fans in the last podcast um long story short he's a great guy you're very lucky to have him uh, go go watch the previous podcast if you want to know more <laughs> um but yeah so I, I I genuinely think transfers is a great way to drive engagement drive interest yeah absolutely well said uh let's finish the show with uh our Safa of the week I mean I have a uh, you know, a funny inclination that we're probably going to have either the same player. Um, but um, why don't we start with you? Who was your Safa of the week and, and why? Well, you can't look past Raymond Rule, can you? <laughs> Not a chance, no. Yeah. No chance. I think that, yeah, I think it's an easy, easy pick. I was thinking, shall I be a bit difficult and be like, oh, Cronier, because he nailed that really clutch conversion. Shall I pick Dwebo because he added a bit of impetus? But but no, it, it was Raymond Rule. He was fantastic. Um, man of the match performance for La Rochelle. Um, he's tearing it up in France. Long may it continue. Uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant performance. Um, we said I've said everything I can really say about him from from this week's performance. But yeah, Raymond Rule is absolutely my sapper standout of the week. I share your sentiments. You know, with two quality tries, a bit of individual skill. You know, the most. One of the most versatile backs at the moment. Um, but yeah, there's nothing else to say other than he's been on fantastic form at the moment. You know, he's doing incredibly well over in France. And, you know, yeah, nothing much else to say than, yeah, Raymond Rule being my Sefa standard of the week. Um, if you guys out there agree with us or disagree with us, please let us know in the comment section below. If you're listening to this on Spotify, you know, you can join either of our socials, jump back onto YouTube or drop the links to all of our socials. Um, but yeah, anything we've mentioned in today's episode, if you're with it or against it, we 
read and respond to all of them. So please do let us know. Um, once again, thank you to Bruce Jack Wine for sponsoring this video. Please drink responsibly. Um, but yeah, always such a pleasure to have you on. I'm so lucky that you are on the show and genuinely we, we love talking rugby and a lot of controversy. Wales, please don't hate us. We were just making a point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we will we will keep you posted on all things Pro 14 and all that visa saga. We will try and keep you updated in the week if we see here or suspect any transfer news or rumors. Um, but yeah, my man, always a pleasure to have you. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to finish off with before we finish? That, that's it from me. Uh, cheers. Thanks to everyone who's watched. Thanks to everyone who, who comments and supports the show. I uh, really appreciate it. I didn't ever think that I'd be that guy with, with a podcast, uh, but, but now, now we are. And, and yeah, it's just been, it's been so much fun. Um, long may it continue. Yes. You know, as you said, thank you to everybody that supports us and we really do appreciate it. And, you know, I've been waiting, I've been wanting to say this for the longest time, but if you do like what you see here, please like this video and subscribe to our podcast and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.